0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lose Weight by Eating podcast. I'm Audrey Johns, and I'm so excited to talk to you about my time on a reality show. So I'm calling this episode Getting Real About Reality Shows. I'm actually launching a second podcast called Who's Reality Cooking? And I'm going to be interviewing past and current reality cooking stars. Um, This week alone, I am interviewing somebody who was on The Taste with me. I'm interviewing someone who was on last um, season of Next Level Level Chef, someone who's on this season of Next Level Chef, so she won't be able to tell me everything she wants to tell me. But with all of that said, I thought, well, I should probably tell my story as well, right? So I figured this would be the right platform for it. I don't want to turn the other podcast into The Audrey Show, right? This is the Lose Weight by Eating show. This is the show I'm going to talk about my journey with weight loss and with the whole Lose Weight by Eating brand. And so I thought, let's talk about it here And it would also give me an opportunity to encourage you to check out the new podcast so you can get that the same place you get this one, um, be it on YouTube or on Apple or on Spotify. Anywhere that you listen to your podcast, you'll be able to get the new podcast called Who's Reality Cooking with Audrey Johns. So let's get into my story. Now, I'm starting this uh, right before I'm going to talk with Dawn as my very first interview. And... Admittedly, I'm so relieved that the taste is not available anywhere free on streaming. I told him, hey, I'm gonna watch the show and then we can kind of catch up on camera. And I'm trying to keep it very clean in between the the interviews and the hey, are you willing to be on the show? Because I really want this show to be new and fresh. And I want it to feel like a real reunion when I do reunite with friends or a real meeting when I do meet new stars. So I told Dawn yesterday via text, I'm going to watch all of our season of The Taste. And I was so relieved when it wasn't out there because it's been 10 years and I still haven't watched it since the day that it aired. And I'm going to get into why now. I'm really excited to find out, are they still kind of bait-and-switching people on these shows as they did with us. Uh, So we will find out in the new podcast. But this one is all about my time on The Taste. So I was on season two of The Taste. There were three seasons. My season aired on January 2nd, 2014. And you might remember it. It was very similar to The Voice. It was a blind competition in that they would taste one bite of your food, so it would be on a little spoon. you remembering now? <laughs> so you would taste the the judges would taste one bite of your food and then decide, you know, are you gonna be eliminated? Are you gonna stay? and and all of that stuff that's very similar to the current cooking reality shows. It was kind of a groundbreaker in the moment. It was, the, the second show to ever be primetime for cooking reality and cooking competition shows. And the hosts were Nigella Lawson, Anthony Bourdain. So this was a really big, amazing show. And it was quite the amazing opportunity for all of us just to be able to be in the same space as some of these other chefs. I was lucky enough to be chosen by Marcus Samuelson, who is a Michelin star chef. He has cooked in pretty much every single White House administration since he, you know, jumped into the culinary scene. And he is a great mentor and quite the stylish gentleman, I will say. Um, But let's take a little step back and let's talk about the casting call. I had actually been doing eHow videos. You may remember eHow. It was um, before YouTube became really, really popular. They did how-to videos. So it was considered at the time they boasted they were the largest how-to website on the internet. And this, again, was over 10 years ago. So I don't know that they are still in production, but I'm sure you can find the videos out there. Just look up Audrey John's eHow. And I was actually approached by the, the people at The Taste to come to a casting call. So a lot of people probably saw it on their social media or it was word of mouth. I was lucky enough to be approached by the casting team. And they asked me to come down to Los Angeles and try out. So I stayed at a friend's house. I stayed at my friend Kate's house the night before. Kate is was amazing. We've unfortunately lost her. Um, but... Kate was kind of my inspiration to learn how to cook. She was such an amazing cook. And so I made my dish at her house by myself. Don't worry, I didn't get help. And I had to bring it in cold. And this is something we're going to get into. But I don't think a lot of people realize that, at least back then, we'll find out more in the new podcast. But back then, the judges would taste the food cold and If only I had known that going into it, I probably would have been creating foods that were better cold as with my other castmates. But we'll get into that a little bit later. I made a meatball dish and I brought it into the casting call in Los Angeles. So you go in and it was either a big U of tables where you would stand behind and the judges were in the center and they were not the Anthony Bourdain, Nigella Lawson. This was like a casting crew. Or it was a an oh, I can't remember if it was closed off, but it was I would say probably about 10 to 15 of us in the room and they were doing it all day long and they would have us come in, they would test our food. And if they liked it, then we'd be shuffled into another room to do a confessional. So a confessional interview is similar to when when you see the talking head is what they would call it. When you see the contestant just talking directly to the camera, or maybe looking, if you're watching me on YouTube, I'm now looking to the side of it like I would have in the confessionals, or you're looking at the producer. But they are asking you questions and they're trying to prompt um, emotion, drama, laughter, what they're trying to convey in the moment. And so I went into this confessional and I. I think my little sob session got me casted. Um, I had been new to cooking and I was so excited at the opportunity to meet Nigella Lawson because it was a show that my mother and I had watched. And specifically, it was a show that we had watched when she was very ill and, and, and dying of cancer. Furthermore, my last gift I ever got from my mother was How to Be a Domestic Goddess by Nigella Lawson. So this kind of all felt like it was a coming home. It was an opportunity to make mom proud or to uh, reconnect with her in some way. And I know that seems silly, but for those of you who've maybe lost a parent, I think you'll definitely understand what that feels like. So they asked me, you know, why do you want to be on the show? And I talked about how much I wanted to meet Nigella Lawson, and they asked why. And I had a sob session, as I think I did a couple of times on the show. But again, so glad I can't watch it, because it would just be so embarrassing. But I think that got me the gig. And I'm as much as I would have loved to have had Nigella as my mentor, I don't think I would have been able to cook. I think I would have been a little bit starstruck. And so I was really lucky in that I got to work adjacent to her and I got to meet her and I got to talk to her and I got to have her critique my food and and my my style of cooking. But I didn't have to be, you know, starstruck <laughs> with the ticking clock going. To get ready, once I found out I was going to go in and try out you Basically going, I believe there were 32 or 36 of us who went to the actual production studio. They flew people in. They put me on a train from Paso Robles, California down to Los Angeles, and they basically just brought us all in and they had everybody try out. And same thing is, you know, as with the show, they were trying out our food blind. So we would make the food. They would film us making the food because who knows, are you going to be in the show? You're not going to be in the show. And the whole first episode, maybe the first two episodes, were all for the tryouts. And I wanted to be really ready for that. And again, I did not know they were going to be trying my food cold. I was very lucky that the food I made was good cold. I actually worked in a kitchen for a couple of days, just as a line cook, to kind of get the pace of the kitchen. I was a home cook. I was new to cooking. I was great, you know, with the camera. I was, as you guys can see if you're watching YouTube, I love interacting with the camera, but that didn't mean I knew the pace of a kitchen, and I was going to be walking into this studio with big chefs, and I was completely intimidated. At this time, I was writing several food and wine articles in paso robles california and wine region and so i reached out to one of the chefs i had interviewed and done an article on and he said yeah absolutely come on in you can you know you can help us out in the kitchen we'll get you acclimated on the speed of the kitchen and what to say you know when you do watch these shows now you'll see somebody saying behind or you know come up coming up behind you or you know knife if somebody's walking with a knife and so these were things I had to learn not just for safety but also so I didn't make a fool of myself on television so I went in and I worked in his kitchen for a couple of days on the last day I made my dish if you work in kitchens you you know what a family meal is typically a family meal would be something that is made for the kitchen crew and often the serving crew as well right before a shift starts or right before a restaurant opens. So I believe that they were open for lunch and dinner. And so part of the family meal was the dish I was going to make for the taste, which was amazing because I got probably 30, 25 to 30 people chiming in and telling me I would change this, I would do this. And I, it was all the servers, it was the manager, it was the the chef, all the line cooks you know, all of the, the saute cooks, everyone chimed in and told me I would change this. I would change that. So I was really, really lucky to have that opportunity. And if you're watching this because you're going to go on one of these shows and you are a home cook like me, I would really recommend reaching out to a restaurant. If you know someone and say, Hey, can I one get the pace of the kitchen? And can I just come in and work for free and, you know, learn the ropes and or two, can I bring in a meal and have you critique it? You know, be as cruel as you need to be or as kind as you need to be. And they were amazing. And I felt as ready as I was going to be. So I I packed up my bag and a couple of my Nigella Lawson books because I wasn't about to go and meet her face to face without being prepared. And no, I never had the, the, um, the opportunity to ask her to to sign any of them i i do kind of kick myself for that but again specifically how to be a domestic goddess was the last gift my mother gave to me and so the thought of bringing it on set and possibly losing it or damaging it it just it wasn't really worth the 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 chance of ruining my mother's last gift to me so i i left them all in my room but i did pack up a huge bag jumped on the train and rode it all the way down to Los Angeles. And they picked us all up and brought us to a lovely hotel. I believe it was the Hilton, right by Universal. Right, I think, walking distance from uh, from the, the Universal City Walk. Either that or there was a shuttle. Again, this was 10 years ago, but that was where the cast would hang out. I was very excited to get down there and try out. I met a lot of amazing people and we'll get to all of that, but I do want to note we all got and this was such a huge missed opportunity for the for the production team was We all went shopping at Whole Foods and it was the most amazing Whole Foods I had been to and I probably ever have been to thus far. If you live in a big city, you know what a a downtown Whole Foods is like. This was downtown Los Angeles Whole Foods or maybe even downtown Hollywood. It was the coolest Whole Foods I've ever been to. It was at least two levels, if not three. And we were given a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money that we could just run all over the store and get what we needed. We also, once we were done, a lot of us stocked our fridges in our room to save money, you know, some salads or what have you that you could just kind of eat out of your room as well. But it was really fun and such a missed opportunity because you have all of these food enthusiastic people running through a Whole Foods, getting everything they need. They either gave us 30 minutes or an hour. Perhaps Don will remember when I interview him, and I'll have to make that note to ask. But it was really such a missed opportunity. And I I don't believe they did it in season three or that they showed it, but it was fun being able to choose the foods we were going to cook with. Furthermore, they also did stock the kitchen with you know, the basics like flour, olive oil, salt, pepper, all of that. So after we're done with Whole Foods, we all went back to the hotel. And I remember all of us, or at least the majority of us sitting outside by the pool and just talking. And I believe somebody brought a guitar even, and we just hung out for hours. And For me, it was the very first time I ever got to hang out with a group of people who were as enthusiastic and as obsessed about food as I am. And it was really exciting and eye-opening and thrilling. And in that moment, I, I made some amazing friends and friends who didn't even get picked on the show. I'm still friends with two today, and we will get to meet some of those people as well on the Who's Reality Cooking podcast. So as I noticed, as I noted, I went in, I really wanted to meet Nigella Lawson. Of course, I wanted to meet Anthony Bourdain, who wouldn't? And I was very, very curious about Marcus Samuelson. I had read one of his cookbooks. I had heard all about Red Rooster, his amazing restaurant. But at this point, he hadn't been doing a lot of these reality cooking competitions. So I go in and I made a take on a Greek meatball nacho. And if you are familiar with lose weight by eating, you know, I really do love my comfort foods and I love some nachos. (laughs) With that said, I needed to make meatballs from scratch. That's not so hard, but I also wanted to make bread from scratch. They actually made a flat bread from scratch in under an hour. And I remember later on, perhaps that night or the next day, people were talking about it and somebody said, are you the one who made bread in an hour? And I'm like, yeah. And this was a big chef who I think made it to the final three. So I kind of felt, one, I felt like I I wasn't good enough To be in this group of people. And to be honest, I I really wasn't. Maybe if I tried out now, I, I have 10 more years under my belt of doing this. But I was very excited to be able to hold my own, at least in that moment. I made the bread in under an hour. I served my dish. And one of one of the chips was a little too crunchy. So not only did I have to make the bread, but then I had to toast it. So it was like a chip, right? And they were, I believe I I had them, I had sliced them into triangles, just like you would have a tortilla chip. One of them was a little bit too, too crunchy. So I didn't make that team. I don't remember what Nigella said about the food specifically. And I don't remember what Anthony said specifically in this challenge. But I do know that Marcus Samuelson did choose me, which was just, I was shaking. It was such a strange and amazing opportunity. And right in front of me are these huge chefs. I mean, these are culinary gods and goddesses, literally. And I remember thinking, I can't hear them because we're up on a sound on a sound stage. And so it's mic'd for the audience. It's not mic'd for the people standing in front of them. And I remember it was difficult to hear them. And maybe my ears are ringing a little bit too, but I just remember being completely starstruck They asked me about myself and I told them about lose weight by eating and, you know, how I'm trying to bring the the food that you crave to everyone in a healthier new way. And one of the greatest compliments of my life was Nigella saying, the world needs your food. The world needs to learn how to eat healthy but eat the foods they want, right? I just finished a a recipe and I I just published it on the on the website. It's a Irish mashed potato website or, what's, or Irish mashed potato recipe and it has real bacon in it. So I love using the foods that you actually crave, but maybe just smaller amounts of them, creating it in a healthier way. And she said, you really, the world needs your food. And that was such a huge moment. So I, I ran backstage. My family was waiting for me. My, my daughter was just the tiniest little shrimp at the time. And I was so excited. I was crying. I was jumping up and down. It was such an amazing, amazing moment. And then we were hustled back to the shuttle. And Lisa Ann is amazing that she didn't get chosen. However, you guys are going to meet Lisa Ann in the What's Reality Cooking podcast, because she was on Master Chef, and she did so well on Master Chef, she got her own reality show out of it. So I can't wait for you to meet her. But in that moment, it was my family and me, and Lisa Ann and her family, and she hadn't gotten chosen. And we were on this bus on the way back to the hotel. And they were so excited. I remember saying, Shh, everybody, just let's celebrate when we get back. Because in the back of the bus... Was this charming, wonderful woman who I'm still friends with to this day, who didn't get chosen. And so I remember vividly thinking, we I need to have some grace in this moment. And you know, she's I I know that she's much more accomplished as a chef than I am. I just got lucky in that moment. And that was my my first day. On the taste. I know that they filmed for two days, so I had a day off after that. But then they brought us back, and we had to do photos and all kinds of other production things. And for continuity, it's very interesting. When you watch these shows, it's like, okay, we're going to cook this and now we're going to go straight into the next competition and they make it look like it's all the same day, but it's not the same day. That's just not possible for, for the lighting crew, for the camera crew, for, for the, the sound crew, and then all of the legality around with SAG to make sure everybody's getting their breaks on time and all of that. And there's just no way you can really, truly film a whole episode in just one day so we were wearing our clothing from day one for a good four days and I still have the red dress I I remember it just smelled <laughs> it smelled of food and just any other thing you can imagine after you've worn something for four days and been you know nervous and excited I remember talking to my friend, Sarah, who was on the same team as me, and she said, I'm going to go home and burn this shirt. We were stuck wearing the same clothing for several days of shooting, and I still have the dress. It's still in a, a bag to bring to the dry cleaners, but I'm never going to wear it ever again. I, I lived in that thing for a whole week. I don't ever want to put it back on, but I just don't have the heart to throw it away. So I still do have my my stinky red dress. And, you know, if we end up doing a Patreon here on the Lose Weight by Eating podcast, perhaps I will show photos and or maybe even get it cleaned. We will see. But on to the next leg of the story, The, the people who did not get chosen go home. And that was very bittersweet. And those of us who did get chosen stayed. And our families got sent home and we were sequestered, which uh, if you've ever done one of these shows or if you've ever done a high media pool, you know, if you're on a jury for a trial, you would know what that's like. However, none of us were prepared for the fact that we were not going to be allowed to be away from production for more than maybe three hours. I believe we were initially given initially, and we're going to get to that because they definitely cracked the whip later on. So we were sequestered. We, we had to basically stay on the grounds of the hotel. And if we didn't, we had to tell them where we were going and we had to check in when we came back. And we go into episode three, I have written here. So I do believe that the initial picking of the teams was two episodes. And episode three was called My Life on a Plate. And, oh, you know what I have here? The, the, there were two hour sequesters. But again, these are my notes I wrote the other day. So perhaps it was two or three. And we, we, we end up cooking together as a group. But before we do that, and again, I can't watch the shows right now. So they're not because they're not available to on streaming at this time, I'm I'm hoping at some point we'll be able to and then maybe I can do a a rebuttal (laughs) to my own podcast. And I can talk about what really did, you know, make sure I've got the timelines correct. But we ended up getting ourselves into a little bit of trouble. We had some contestants go missing, and they ended up cutting the two-hour sequester down to one hour. And that's not even enough time to go and get food. So we were really kind of stuck in this pod. And that's when they started trying to create drama for the show. And, and I get it. You know, this is a reality show. I definitely went into it knowing there would be a certain amount of drama. But what I was not prepared for was that they would mic us from the moment we stepped onto the lot until the moment we left. And so we're talking about somewhere between 15 to 18 hours with a mic on each day. And only maybe an hour of filming. And I'm really excited to talk to some of the other taste mates or taste buds, as we call ourselves within our little season two group, to find out if anyone noticed that audio was pulled from inaccurate timing. And I'm sure it was. But I remember saying, Oh, I need to take my mic off. I need to go to the bathroom. And they're like, No no, you have to wear it. And I remember going and like putting my hand over my mic because I didn't want them to be able to, (laughs) they didn't want them to hear me peeing, right? But I think they were trying to catch us shit talking each other. And even more so, when we went into the confessionals, we would go into, so we were on the universal lot. We had two of the big sound stages. One sound stage had the whole The taste kitchen for all four kitchens, for all four teams. And then behind it, they had trailers. And I'm the same kind of trailer that you're probably thinking right now, not fancy, just empty, just like a a trailer that you would bring boxes in from out of state. And they had made it look in the back like a kitchen. They did a beautiful job. If you guys get to watch the confessionals, you'll be so surprised that these were actually trailers. And then they lit each one according to the team. And we were team green, which is why I'm wearing green today. And they brought us in there and they they would say something along the lines of, well, so-and-so said this about you. What do you have to say about that? And, you know, so-and-so was talking sh- crap about you, <laughs> I'm I'm really trying to mind my P's and Q's on the Lose Weight by Eating podcast because the S and the F-bombs are definitely going to hit on the other one. So I'm trying to be clean here. But they were trying to get us to, sorry guys, shit talk the rest of the, the cast. And they would keep us in these confessionals for hours on end. I remember one of them was about three hours and I was just completely broken down because they were just telling me, this person said this about you, and this person said this about you, and this person said this about you. Later on, I ask them and they say no. But you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but then you actually watch the show when it airs, and none of that's on camera either. So it makes me wonder, were they just trying to create drama? And again, this is a show. I get it, I'm cool with that to an extent, right? So we we go back two hour hotel and we're under one hour sequester now because someone I don't want to rat anyone out but one gal went missing and I think if you watched the show you probably know who because she goes missing again later. And so we were under sequester and I remember I was in my room and I get a knock on the door and I open the door and it's Sarah and she's on my team. She's the gal with the Mohawk. She's such such a badass. She's the toughest chick I've ever met. She's hysterically crying. I'm like, what's wrong? She said, they made me do it. They made me do it. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? And they had held her in that confessional for at least an hour longer than me because I had been back in the hotel for quite some time and they got her to to create drama. And she was just mortified. And she was like, no, I, I, I love being on the team with you. And you're so great. And I want us to be friends. And I'm so sorry. And I'm like, stop. It's okay. It's okay. And I, I want to be very, very, very clear here. Still to this day, Sarah is one of my favorite people. And I would never hold that against her. And and we're going to get to more fun Sarah stuff. And I'm really hoping I can interview her as well on the, the other podcast too. So we get down to day or episode four. We've already lost two people. I believe, I know Jay was one of them. And I love Jay. He's so sweet. Jay has done so many shows. He's worked with Martha Stewart. I already have been in talks with him to do the other podcast with him as well. And I believe Raina went home as well. But again, I can't watch the show, so I'm not 100% sure. But spoiler alert, I if if you're going to watch it, you might want to turn this off and then come back later. Episode four, I went home. So we are getting ready for our team cooking. And the first time we did this, we were sitting in front of the the trailers for the the other soundstage, so, so I mentioned earlier. Sorry, I'm jumping all around, but I mentioned earlier we had two sound stages. So one was for the taste and for the, the confessional trailers, and then the other one was for these, like the star trailers that you see that the stars get to hang out in. And they created four of them. They had four of them, and then they created these little outside areas for each of the judges. And I think Nigella's was all whimsical and Anthony Bourdain's is all, you know, like hard and rough and cool. And Marcus had brought us in and we had sipped some whiskey, which I swore I wouldn't drink on camera. But then, you know, this amazing chef is like, you need to try this. So of course, you know, I had a little sip, but I'm a bit of a lightweight. So I had to just have a sip just for taste. So now day number four, episode number four, we're doing another little powwow, but this one's in the kitchen. And here's the drama I have a real problem with. And I still, to this day, lose sleep over it. And, and part of why I wanted to do this is because I wanted to talk about it. So we're all standing around and Marcus Samuelson is frying some chicken. I love some real fried chicken. Yes. And I turn to you. Who's also on my team, who's also going to do the other podcast. And I ask him a question about it. And he he answers the question. Sheu is an amazing chef, classically trained chef. I'm just a home cook. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm definitely the weakest link on my team. Probably the weakest link in the entire show. Again, if I did it now, perhaps I'd be somewhere in the middle, like bottom middle. But I turn to him and I ask him a question. And we're miked, of course, we're filming, we're mic'd, And he answers and I say, oh, I, I want to use that. You know, either it was, I feel like it was the fryer. And I feel like that's why I asked him that question because lose weight by eating. We don't fry anything, right? It's all healthy. And I think I said, oh, I want to use that. So we go backstage and they, they've got us, you know, sitting around having coffee. They've got the cameras on us still. We were... Great, something. Coffee was sponsoring the show, so you know they had a Keurig there, and we were supposed to like get the coffee and talk about it. And we're just hanging out in in the green room, and three producers come in and they say, "We have an issue. We have a big issue. Someone's cheating," and we're all like, "Oh my gosh, who, who, who?" And they say, "Audrey." You cannot tell your mentor that you're going to be cooking something and then expect him to taste it and not know it's yours. You can't use chicken legs. And I'm like, I didn't do that. And they say, well, we have you on camera. And I said, great, show it to me. And they say, well, well, you can't use chicken legs. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to. No, you can't. Okay, I'm not going to. I want to see this footage. I want to see. Well, we, we have it. We have it on audio. We have it on on uh, on uh, camera. You were cheating, and I'm like, I was asking Shayu. And part of me is, what I'm assuming is, is they only heard through audio, but did not because w- when you're using your camera phone, audio and video is at the same time, right? It's on the same. It's on the same device. But when you're doing a big production like this, audio and visual are completely separate. So my assumption is that I was whispering to Shayu, a good eight feet away from Marcus, and they thought I was talking to Marcus. And still to this day, this bothers me. Still to this day, they have never shown any of this footage. They have never proved anything. and the show is no longer still airing here in the United States. So I'm sure that footage is lost, but this is something I'm really eager to talk to Sheyu about and see if he remembers. And I don't want to, I really assume it was just audio because if it was visual, then we have a possible race issue that I'm speaking to, there's three white people and two African Americans in the room, and I speak to one African American, and they think it's the other one. I'm like, I don't want to call race card here. I I don't feel like as a white woman, it's it would be appropriate for me to, and that's why I want to talk to Shea you about it. But I I have to assume it was all just audio because they would not have pieced them together, right? And if they had, they would have seen it was clearly me talking to Shea you. So I feel like they were trying to create this drama. If it had genuinely been Audrey's cheating, they would have pulled me aside. They would have kicked me off the show, right? So I'm assuming because they waited until the cameras were on, on all of us, we were all still mic'd, of course, as we were all day long, but I, they waited until we were all in the green room and then they came in. And so my assumption is that's what happened. And this is the kind of thing that happens within reality shows is if they're not getting the drama they want, they're going to create the drama. And I don't know, that's, I I feel like I need to get my piece of the story out because as I talk to others, I'm curious if they even remember this. I'm still 10 years later, losing sleep over this. I kid you not, at least once a month, I lie in bed wondering, wondering, wondering. So I wanted to bring that up here and kind of clear the air on that. So that when I talk to my other teammates, we've got a frame of reference of where I was at. So, and I'm, I'm filming this on Monday, February 26th. So there's that. I just kind of want to have my information out there so that then we can revisit with others. And perhaps I'm remembering it incorrectly, but there you go on that. So episode four comes around and this happens. And we had been there for a good two to two and a half weeks at this point, because they're not just going to be back to back. Each show takes about three days just to record. And then due to SAG rules and laws, you have to have a certain amount of time off. So we'd have days off. And so we were there for about two and a half weeks. And at the time, I was struggling with a nerve disease I had gotten from a, a wrist surgery called CRPS. It's also known as RSD, and it's very similar to fibromyalgia. Now, for those of you wondering, I am currently in remission uh, on really rainy days. Like today, I might be a little extra achy, but otherwise I'm in remission. But at this time, I was not. I was on strong medication, both for nerve issues and for pain medication, unfortunately. Not on anymore, thank goodness. And I was getting regular nerve blocks. And what a nerve block is, is they put you under. And the surgeon will inject, basically flood the nerve with medication that will numb it, for lack of a better explanation. And I was having this done at the USC Pain Center. So in between episode, the filming of episode three and episode four, I contacted the USC Pain Center, which was really, really close, and I said, listen, I'm going to have another couple of days off. I have to schedule a nerve block because I'm just in so much pain. I have the the nerve disease in my, my right hand and I am right-handed. It traveled all the way up to my right shoulder. And I also have it in my left hip. So standing for long periods of time can be difficult, especially on those hard, Concrete floors that they had us standing on, which is would be fine for anyone else, but for me, my leg would go completely numb, and I was worried I was going to fall and hurt myself. We're dealing with knives, we're dealing, dealing with fire and heat; it was just not safe, and I was I was miserable. I was in a ton of pain, and so. I had scheduled a nerve block to happen in between episode four and episode five. So we were going to have a break and I was going to get the permission to go over there and then come back. I wasn't going to tell anyone outside of the production crew because I was kind of um, ashamed of it, which is really silly. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm going to have to reprocess that. But we, we go into... Episode four and you know, we're having the big drama happen, thus being created. I'm in extreme pain. And then we do our group challenge. And in the group challenge, we cook four different dishes. Each of us cooks our own dish, and then one gets chosen by our mentor, Marcus Samuelson, and that one is the one that goes up. And Sarah made a delicious, amazing dish that had a quail egg on top, probably not taking into consideration that this would be eaten cold. So a quail egg, it's runny, cold. It was divine. I think there was even some homemade uh, an onion jam that she made with it. I mean, this was the greatest thing I've ever eaten in my life. But by the time that it was eaten by the guest judge, who apparently did not like eggs, unfortunately, we found out later, it was a problem. So we we do our cooking. I have a little, we're going to talk about my Me Too issue later, but it happens during this episode. It is not Marcus and it is not anyone on my team. And we send up our team dish which is Sarah's dish. And they, this dish loses, unfortunately. Again, it was absolutely delicious. I think eaten, eaten hot, it was much better than cold. And that's just, that's just how it is. So we're standing there and, and they're trying to create more drama as they do in these shows. And they, they ask, they put us all in a row probably strongest to weakest, but I know the first two people they ask, I don't know which order they're in. It's Sarah and Shayu. And they say, who's the weakest link? Who needs to go home? And they him and ha. They don't want to say it. We all really like each other. I, I think out of all the teams at this point, we are still to this day the closest. And they say Audrey. And they were right. At this point, I was by leaps and bounds the weakest link, not just in our team, but on the show. Again, at this point, I had only been cooking for a couple of years. So they get to Don and Don really doesn't want to say it either. I remember. And I'll definitely ask him about that as well. And, you know, he hymns and haws and says, Audrey, and then they get to me, you know, they're trying to create drama. What did they want me to say, Sarah? Because it was her dish. It's it's BS. She's amazing. And so I say me, and I remember, and I it thumbs me out that they didn't capture it or put it on camera, but everyone gasped because we're standing on this big sound stage and here's Marcus's team. And then on this side, on in the middle, sorry, if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing me like with my hand gestures, but... On the left of all of us was Anthony Bourdain's team. On the right of all of us was Nigella Lawson's team. And then finally, you know, further down was the other team. And I remember hearing the gasp. And I said, me, I need to go home. I should be the one to go home. I want my team to win. I should be the one to go home. And so I kind of fell on my own sword. And this was for a few reasons. One, I genuinely was the weakest link. And I really wanted my team to win. Two, I was completely exhausted and in so much pain, and I didn't know if I could keep going. And three, that whole drama thing that they had tried to stir up earlier, I did not want to become what they were trying to turn me into on this show. So I bowed out. I left. And that night, I I hear a little shh, and I go to my door, because you know, sometimes they would slip a call sheet under our door, whatever we might need for the next day. I figured maybe it was, you know, boarding information to get back home. And it was a card. I still have this card. And again, if we do, if we end up doing a Patreon, I will take a photo and send it to you after I get her permission. I still carry it in my wallet to this day. It was Sarah's business card. And on the back of it was the sweetest, most amazing message. Just saying, how much she respected me and how good it was to get to know me. And Sarah is a gem. She's one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. And Sarah, if you're listening or watching this, I still have it. I still carry it around. It is um, one of my most prized possessions. So I go home. I, I get back into my normal life. I think they come out and film me for my my get to know you moment where they, they have me walking through the farmer's market and all of that. And a few weeks later, I go back for the finale. They bring us all back for the finale. And it was really different because it was like the pressure was off for most of us. And I remember, so we were still, I believe we were still sequestered even though we had been, you know, released from the show and then brought back for the finale. And I must have been because the food at the bar was horrific. (laughs) And um, I remember, you know, I never wanted to eat it, but you were kind of forced to because it was too expensive in the restaurant. And so I remember going to the bar and sitting there with Louise. And another spoiler, if you haven't watched it, you should probably turn this off right now. So the night before, Louise and I are sitting, and it wasn't like she and I were buddy-buddy. This was probably the first time we had had a a one-on-one conversation. And she's amazing, by the way. And she is just really struggling with the fact that she doesn't feel like she can beat the other chefs. And uh, spoiler, <laughs> Louise totally wins. She's absolutely amazing. And as someone who's written for cookbooks, I'm so, 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 so happy that a, a a food stylist wins because food stylists, to me, they have to be classically trained or just as good as a classically trained chef. Plus, they have to make it look pretty. Plus, they end up cooking food from all these different chefs. And I know she had worked on um, Jada De De show at one point. I know she's done a ton of cookbooks. I even talked to her about maybe being my food stylist, but it didn't work out. So a chef is great, but they're always cooking their own food. And a home cook is great, but they're always cooking their own food. But a food stylist... Is cooking their own food and everyone else's food and making it look pretty. So I think in the moment, and I don't, I know I could not have given her this perspective in that moment because I had yet to ever write a cookbook or really know what a food stylist did. But she was really struggling with the fact that, you know, I don't deserve to be here and I'm not going to win and I'm going to make a fool of myself. I don't think she said that, but it was in that same. Mode, and she was really struggling with it. And we had a really great conversation. I remember telling her, "You're so talented, and you're so fun on camera, and just go out there and have fun. Just go out there and make yourself proud. You should be proud that you've gotten to where you're at." And again, spoiler alert: um, Louise wins um, Taste Season Two, and we we go into the into the lot on Universal. We go onto the soundstage and they have built us some bleachers and we're all sitting in the bleachers and I'm having like a full pain attack and doing my very best not to let it get caught on camera, which it did it. Thank you. Thank you. And we were not ever allowed to bring our phones on set, but we did. (laughs) We all totally snuck our phones in on set for this last finale. Now we were all very respectful. We weren't, you know, taking photos of it while it was happening, but this was possibly our last chance to be on this set and damned if we were not going to get photos of it on our crappy old, like what iPhone two or something It was 10 years ago. So we, we brought our phones on and at the end, we took photos together. And I remember sitting in Marcus Samuelson's chair and taking a photo, and not totally not even realizing that Jacques Pepin is right behind me. I remember taking photos with my friend Cassie, who was also on the show, and with Anthony Bourdain and Nigella Lawson. And they eventually whisk the four judges away, you know, send them all home. And we were, then they start setting up. <laughs> this is great, you guys. So they send the judges home. These are stars. I get it. They have stuff to do. And then they start tearing down the set and putting up decorations and putting out food and champagne and we're going to have a wrap party. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we get to do a real Hollywood wrap party, not like rap the music, like wrapping of the show. We weren't invited. They didn't invite any of the contestants. They only invited the crew, which the crew damn well deserved it because they worked hard. But the 16 of us, only one of us got paid because she won. We were all there working for free. Never made a single dime off of the show unless she got cookbooks like I did and Cassie did. It was, again, I really don't want to curse on Lose Weight by Eating Podcast, but it was bullshit, you guys. It was just... Are you kidding me? We just gave our hearts and souls and made fools of ourselves on television, and we don't even get to have a free glass of champagne. So we were pissed. We were all really like, are you kidding me? I'll go back to the hotel, and I'm in my room, and I get, oh man, I forgot this. I get a text message from Brad. I gotta I have to call Brad. So Brad was on Anthony Bourdain's team. And I get a text message from him. And all it says is along these lines is something like, get down here now. <laughs> like, okay. And I knew he was in the bar. I knew what he meant. And I'd get down to the bar and it's him and Jacques Pepin sitting at a table together. And if you don't know who Jacques Pepin is, do you know who Julia Child is? Because Jacques was on her show for years and years and years. So now I can officially say that my degrees of separation between me and, and Julia Child are one, right? So I get down there and here is this food God. It seemed to me like even Anthony Bourdain was a little starstruck by this man. This is who this is, okay? And we're all sitting there and we're drinking wine. And I remember my friend, Patty, Patty Bello is a, a winemaker In Paso Robles, and she had sent me with a bottle. So I went running back up to my room and brought down a bottle of, I believe it was her Merlot or one of her red blends. And she was so excited later on to find out that Jacques Befon had drank her wine. But we open up the wine, you know, food is flowing. And and at some point, you know, Jacques, well, first of all, Jacques is telling us all these great stories about, you know, about how he met Julia Child and the stories he had heard about her beforehand. And and if you're watching me right now. I'm like so animated because it was such a huge moment for me to meet him. And at one point, so they have a piano player in the bar at this hotel. And at one point he gets up and he goes over to the piano player and he talks to him for a moment. And then he dedicates a song to us and he stands up there and he sings to the whole cast of The Taste who was down there in the moment. A a song in French because he's French. This is like this doesn't happen to anyone, but we got to experience it. So, with that said, it was bullshit that we didn't go to the rap party, but I don't think any of us were sad about it after that night because we got to hang out with Jacques. So, that is my story from the taste. I again, I watched it the moment it came out. I watched it live. I, I ended up getting a cookbook deal with HarperCollins because of it. So I'm, I'm grateful for my time. I do want to give some takeaways, however. They did some of us dirty. So Cassie specifically was on Ludo's team. And Cassie is the most adorable human being ever. She has this nervous giggle that is very rare, but they played it on a loop. They did her so dirty. It was heartbreaking. And Poino picked it up and they made fun of her. And I remember her calling me. I'm sure she called quite a few of us totally crying because they were making fun of her on Tosh.0 because they took one giggle she did once, one nervous giggle. Who does not have a nervous tick, Right. And they played it on a loop throughout the whole show. With me, they I would be saying, "Oh yeah, my readers like this and my readers like that," and they would make me re-say it to say my fans. And then they would turn around and tear me down because I said I had fans. I still to this day don't use the word fans. I am a you know D or F list celebrity at best, but I. They did me dirty in that. They did a lot of us dirty. Um, They really edited it to create the drama they were looking for. Unfortunately, the show didn't do better because of it because it was only in for three seasons. But like I said, I, I met some lifelong friends. And if you subscribe and tune in over at Who's Reality Cooking podcast, you will meet some of them. I Like I said, I got a four cookbook deal. The moment that I was released from the show on air, so not the moment that it actually happened, but the moment that it aired, I had four messages from four different literary agents, and I picked one, Celeste Fine. Thank you, Celeste. And Celeste uh, got me a cookbook deal with HarperCollins, and I've written four cookbooks for them. So I don't regret going on the taste. I, I don't like the way they treated some of us. Personally, I don't really care about what they did to me. I'm, I'm pissed about what they did to Cassie. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm pissed about the, the me too thing. We're going to talk about that at some point when I feel up to it, but I'm glad I went on it. I'm glad I made the friends I, I did and here's on my notes I have. Would you do it again? Probably. If I knew what I know now. Maybe. Maybe. I really don't know. I, I watch these shows now and I'm in awe of the contestants. And I don't know that I would have the confidence to um, get up there and. and and do my thing. So I don't know if I would do it again, but I don't regret it. So that's my story. This is a much longer podcast than I had anticipated. However, because it is not the inspirational, exciting thing that I want this podcast to be, you can keep listening because there's another one coming. I'm going to launch two today so that you have two podcasts. So thank you for following along with me. I'm sorry if it was long and rambling. I'm trying to tell my story best I can remember. Again, it was 10 years old. But later on today, I get to interview my friend Don, who was on The Taste with me. He was right behind me. He had the big beard. My daughter thought that he was Santa Claus when she met him. It was so cute. And that's my time on The Taste. I felt like this was a better platform for it because I really want their platform to be for the people who've been a contestant. I want to give them that moment. I want them to be able to see their piece. I want them to be able to say, they roped me into saying this, or they looped my giggle, or they pulled me into confessional and kept me there for five hours until I agreed to talk crap about someone. I hope that's not still happening. And if it is, you know, admittedly, it does make for good TV but that platform is going to be for those chefs and those home cooks to say their piece. And with that said, I am going to give them the questions ahead of time. And as long as it's before I'm dead editing, I'm going to let them cut out things that they said. I, I feel like we go out there and we work for free on these shows because we do not get paid unless you win. And we're talking months sometimes of not getting paid. And I feel like we now need to be able to say our piece and talk about all the great things that come about of it and also talk about the things to look out for. Like if you're trying out for one of those shows, your food better taste even better cold than it does hot. And I'm gonna leave you on that note. So thank you so much for following along on this very long-winded podcast about my time on the taste. Again, I'm Audrey Johns. Happy cooking and stay tuned for another episode of the Lose Weight by Eating podcast next. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lose Weight by Eating podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes when they drop. Happy cooking!